0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at TPRDFW.com. Well, we're starting a a new series tonight called Developing a Forerunner Culture. And this series came out of a lot of different dialogue uh, that our leadership team was having that uh, kind of led us to some, um, some conclusions, one of which is there some foundational pieces of our message that uh, while it's in the culture, while it's part of who we are and what we do around here, there are some foundational messages that most of our staff have never heard preached uh, from Saturday Night uh, Messaging. And we just thought, wow, that's really an interesting thought process that there's so much of who we are and what we stand for and how we got to where we are and what we believe that we were all about and we're teaching on a regular basis and have been part of our trainings and but that our staff and our general community while they've experienced maybe the benefit of those teachings in our history haven't heard those teachings haven't heard that that call uh to uh who we are and what we're doing and so we just thought man After we finish this series on Revelation, uh, which we finished up a couple weeks ago, we really want to talk about some of the basic truths, the the foundational messages that formed this community, that caused this community to become what it is. And as I started to process that, I kind of made a list of what are those messages? What are some of the things that in the early days of the prayer room, uh, when we were starting, what were those messages that were, we were really chewing on, that were really firing us up and fueling us in a lifestyle of commitment to Jesus? One of the trends that I uh, kind of caught in there, uh, and the reason that I called this um, series, this course, Developing a Forerunner Culture, is really what we were doing, though we didn't know we were doing it at the time, is we were laying the foundation of what the ministry would be about and believe and hold to and, and live out and call people to as a lifestyle for decades to come. Now, again, we didn't have the presence of mind to know that that's what was happening in my living room back in the day, but that's actually what was occurring. There were foundational messages that really weren't about, um, I, I, rather than tell you what they weren't about, what they were is they were foundational to developing a culture of forerunners that are living radically for Jesus and building something uh, of kingdom value for him on assignment from him. We started to think about that as our leadership team started to process. And I, you know, We went through the, the priority list of what messages were, were most foundational, what components of, of this ministry uh, really stirred us. And so much of it came to when we were all 20-year-olds what was it? What were the core messages that caused us to want to lay down our life for Jesus fully? What was it that was being said and communicated? And then as I started to kind of put the details together, I went, you know, that's actually a forerunner culture. That's, we were accidentally writing the script for how do you develop a forerunner culture Um, And we were doing it one message at a time by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We just didn't know that's what we were doing. But we look back now, 17 years later after our starting, we look back and go, in the Lord's kindness, we were actually laying that foundation that we've been building on now for the last 17 years. So with all that, this course that we're going to do, and and we're, we're just calling this one of our Forerunner School of Ministry Bible Courses. It'll be 14 sessions because all of our uh, Bible school courses are 14 sessions long. What we're really looking at in this course is it's a little bit of a review of what has held the prayer room together for for 17 years. Not a prophetic history, more like a message history. Almost like what has been the core messaging of TPR that's caused us to be who we are. Secondly, it's to give the, the community now, our staff and everybody that's with us, and even those that are going to listen online and stick their head in on Encounter Services, some plumb lining of what does it look like to be a forerunner? Now, we've got a whole Bible school course called Life of the Forerunner that's a, more of a deep theological construct of forerunner theology, of what does it mean to be a forerunner from the Word of God. It's not actually what we're doing right now. We're actually we're, we're pivoting just slightly from that, and we're talking about what are the messages that are required to wind up yielding a forerunner culture at the end of the day, and because of that, I'm excited because. I know a bunch of people. We were just talking about a couple of the trips that we've just been on recently. We've got uh, Luke Fredenberg leading a team to Lubbock right now. Last weekend, Andy and I were in Nashville Uh, in a couple of weeks. uh, Christy and Caitlin and myself are going to be down in Lake Travis outside of Austin. We go to different houses of prayer all over. And one of the things that houses of prayer uh, have this yearning for, this longing for, is uh, as we describe what we're doing back home, some of the questions uh, come around, how did you get that kind of culture? How, where did that come from? Because that, that's so different than how things are at our house of prayer. Where, where did that come about? How did that happen? What do you do to, to create that kind of a culture? And I thought, well, look, we're just going to roll it all together and create a blueprint. We're going to, In this course, we're going to help create a blueprint for at least one working model. I don't think it's the only way. I, would, I don't think that at all. I do think, however, that after 17 years, we have a forerunner culture here at the prayer room. It's real. It's something that people come into, and in a very short period of time, they themselves, whether, whatever their background was, they themselves, if they give themselves to it, they find themselves in a, in a, a new pace of life. They find themselves with, with a different line of thinking and a different way about them in the spirit, and, and they <clears throat> kind of get annexed into this forerunner culture. And so as a result of that, we know it's working, and we want to be able to write that down and give that to other ministries. And so uh, we're going to be accomplishing kind of a lot here in this series, but my greatest desire for those that are here, and I'm, I'm kind of aiming this at the 20-year-olds, but if you're like, well, I'm 25, does that count? Sure. If you're 95 and you want to call yourself a 20-year-old, I say, go for it. At this point, I'm just, I need somebody to aim at, I'm looking at, I'm thinking mostly though it's got application to everybody. I'm thinking mostly of that group of 20-year-olds that was in my living room with me back in 2005 when we started this thing. And what was it that was the, what were the messages that stirred that group of people to carry a mandate 17 years? What was that, and what did that take? And then for some of you, you've been around for a while, and you know, there's a few that are even still here from those days. I want to encourage you Ask the Holy Spirit to refresh something anew in you, to allow there to be some, um, some highlighted things, some highlighted moments or words or concepts that the Lord would want to help just kind of nudge you a little bit forward in some areas so that this series would be just as rich for you, that it would be a reminder and a refresher. And then also then for, uh, for all those that are coming around that are, this is brand new, here's my hope for you. And this is what I've been praying this week. This is what uh, really the, the core of this series is about, is my hope is to stir your faith to believe for you running after God. Not for somebody else, not that it's possible. I want you to see yourself. My hope in this series, as we go through these messages, my hope is for you to see yourself living in radical abandonment for Jesus, with practical ideas of what that looks like. You know, it's, we've got this idea of, you know, live radical, live radical, with, but without any definition of what does that look like, without any example of what it is that we're talking about, it's a really cool-sounding term that means absolutely nothing. And I want to give you guys clarity. I want to give you uh, a way to put feet to the concept. What does it look like to live a radical lifestyle for Jesus starting in your 20s and then carrying that on into 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way to 90s and whatever much time you got. So what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be looking at not so much, again, just like I said, not so much what does the Bible say about, um, you know, how, how do forerunner ministries operate in the Word, but we're going to be doing a little bit of, of uh, application of how do you form a culture Where the people that are a part of that culture, a corporate group of people, how do you get a corporate group of people committed to each other, committed to the word, committed to loving Jesus, committed to a radical lifestyle? What does it take to get us there? And then we're going to be telling some stories about the prayer room and our journey. Because I think because it worked, I mean obviously we wouldn't be telling the stories if it didn't yield the actual result that we wanted, but it worked, the experiment worked. But because we've been doing this for 17 years as the prayer room, we're going to be sharing some stories and, and some things in the early foundation of, of what caused this ministry to, to grow into what it is and with the whole purpose of giving you permission to run. The, uh, the thing that's really stirring in me for tonight's message, let that serve as an introduction to the whole course. The thing that's stirring in me for tonight's message is I can remember being 19, 20, 21, and being in church contexts that there were people that loved God. But I wasn't, I just felt so hindered in my faith. It seemed like everywhere I went, it was encouraged to do less of that, don't go so hard in that direction. Uh, you know, don't, don't be so overboard there. You don't want to get out of balance. I just feel like so much of what I was hearing from the church culture around me was just live kind of the normal Christian American life and that made me want to throw up. That sounded disgusting to me. That, I, that was, what, what was coming to mind as I was viewing what I was seeing around me was I was seeing the Laodicean church out of Revelation chapter three. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. And I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I had to work through some of that. But what I was right about was how far off the version of christianity is that our culture has sold us is good and pleasing to the lord how far off that is from what the bible actually calls us to and i can remember those feelings and and seeing people that loved the lord but i was not provoked at all by their lifestyle I was not provoked at all by what they carried. I wasn't provoked by their prayer life. I wasn't provoked by by anything about them. I loved them. They were nice. They were fun. They loved God. They knew the Bible a little bit. But I was not provoked at all. And I remember being a 20-year-old and going, "Where, where can I go to be provoked? Where can I go to find a group of people that will push me forward in my walk with Jesus instead of holding me back? Instead of giving permission to my own lethargy, instead of somebody patting me on the back and go, that's good, good job. And it, it not being g- good at all, it, it being lethargic, it being lazy Christianity. I just remember being so so burdened in my heart and I would, I would hear messages that applauded lethargic Christianity. And I was sickened in my soul. And I was like, I don't want that. And, and I can just remember, I mean, it was a bit arrogant, but it was actually also a bit accurate, so it's kind of it's scary how all that works. It's a bit arrogant, but I just remember at 19 going, when I'm in charge, we're going to do it different. I just remember saying that. I don't know how many times because I knew the Lord had called me to leadership. I didn't know what that would look like. I just knew whenever I'm in charge, we are not doing it this way. This is not what we're going to call business as usual. We're going to do something different we're going to pursue Jesus, we're going to run, and I'm going to find a way to empower 20-year-olds to run after Jesus. I want to create a context where people are uncomfortable living passive, living lazy, living comfortable, to create a context where it's actually the normal thing to run and to die for Jesus, to give ourselves fully to him. And I remember being stirred by those things and really having to process, and a lot of what I would say in private meetings was not fully appreciated. I'll just tell you that much for sure. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of those early foundational stories, messages, and things, and then I'm going to get pretty transparent and share some things uh, from my life as well in order to be able to help give a, uh, a tangible picture of what things could look like, and my objective there isn't to get you to do what I did, it's to get you to picture. Wow, that's a real person that did stuff. I'm a real person. I can do stuff too. That's that's really my objective there. But uh, so what we're gonna do uh, tonight is uh, we kind of jump into page two here. We're gonna look at some Forerunner foundations. We don't have time, and it's not the purpose of this course to develop all of the ins and outs of Forerunner messaging, Forerunner theology, Forerunner lifestyle. That's not really what we're doing. This is more of a provoking us to give ourselves fully to Jesus, sort of a uh, series. But the context is important. Otherwise, why are we doing it? What is this about? And why are we using the word forerunner? So we're going to start with the model of John the Baptist, Matthew three one through six. This is page two if you're in the notes. And we're going to look at a little bit at John the Baptist. So. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, let's just look at a, uh, John the Baptist here. And then what I want to do is I want to try to modernize the context a little bit because anybody that went and did this exactly like John did it, it wouldn't make the same impact that it made in John's day to the people that John was ministering to. So that, that's not the point. So the point isn't, I got to wear a leather belt. I wear a leather belt every day. This like that doesn't that's not that won't work. That's not the same. The the purpose of what's being communicated through this, I want to give you just some highlights, okay? First of all, John the Baptist came. I love that just that term. He came. He had a starting point. There was a in order to come and start a ministry, there had to be a season of preparation beforehand. So when John the Baptist came, to do this work in this ministry, there had already been decades of of forging. There had already been decades of forming and preparation for this moment for him to actually come and have something to give. That's a significant piece of this. Second, he's in the wilderness. I I think it's so interesting that the Lord's plan was to have the guy that's going to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the most important ministry ever. He's going to be in the wilderness, meaning he's going to be in obscurity. Nobody's really going to hear him. People are going to really have to want to go hear this preacher that's just out in the middle of nowhere in obscurity. And that was just the way that the Lord set it up. He's a, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. So he's, he's a voice. It's a messenger. It's one that's, that's, de, that's uh, uh, set on declaring the purposes of the Lord. And the context of this is really important because there's only been two times where Jesus is coming the first coming, and the second coming. And what we're talking about in this current context of the prayer room now, we're talking about raising up those that would be prepared, like John the Baptist was prepared in John's generation, to be a voice of one saying, Jesus is coming to the planet, everybody get ready. John the Baptist was the only voice in this way that was speaking at this level to this degree in his generation that we have documentation of. There were others that had little stirrings. But there's a second time that Jesus is going to come, and it's the Lord's desire to prepare a whole lot more people than one guy named John the Baptist. To get a generation of people prepared in their heart, prepared in a season of probably decades of of preparation and of making ready so that there would be people that could declare, like John declared round one, Jesus is coming, get ready, prepare the way for him. So when we talk about forerunners, we're talking about one that goes on before Jesus is coming. It just so happens that there's two comings of Jesus. We've got the first one documented in the Gospels, and the second precedes, or or rather is is on the tail end of uh, the judgment events and precedes the transition into the next age, which is the purpose of God. So when we talk about this forerunner thing, we actually... We're mostly looking forward to the greatest expression of the forerunner ministry, and we're looking backward to the initial dress rehearsal, round one in smallness, one guy version, John the Baptist. What we need at the end of the age is, I don't know, a million, 10 million John the Baptists across the earth that are declaring like John did, that lived like John did, that carried what John carried in order to say, make straight, make ready, prepare the way of the Lord. He's actually literally coming back. And so that's the context of the forerunner ministry. A couple more details. By living out in obscurity, there's a lot of things in obscurity that you don't have access to, influence being one of them. But even some of the pleasures of life, his clothes were made of camel's hair, Leather belt, his food was locusts and wild honey. This is actually talking about the sacrificial living, some of which was required of John and some of which John imposed upon himself in order to live a sacrificial lifestyle. The, the sacrificial lifestyle is essential to the forming of forerunners. Forerunners have got to get their heads wrapped around the requirement of sacrificial living. Some of that sacrificial living, again, was by the purposes of God, and some of that was of John's choosing in order to keep himself humble and and in a humble place. These are important details. One of the things that I just want to make clear, I don't know, I don't know what everybody's thought processes are on this, but forerunners aren't born, they're forged. It's very different. Now, there could be someone born with a forerunner calling. That doesn't mean diddly squat if that person doesn't say yes and yield to the process. Forerunners are forged. I mean in pressure like a diamond. And so the, the concept that there's just going to be forerunners, there's going to be John the Baptist at the end of the age and God just kind of poop, just puts them there. That's not how that works at all. John knew from an early age what he'd been called to do, and then John lived decades out that calling before his time had come. John was forged, and so forerunners are not born. They submit to a process, and that process is often grueling and and difficult, painful. Now, part of the reason I share these details with you is because it's an intense path to walk. I had a, uh, a thought that I don't really love this thought, but I know it's true because I've just seen it so many times and know it to be true of other ministries as well that are, that are trying to live out the 400 ministry. The forerunner calling, the, the idea, the lifestyle, what we're going to be looking at in this series, related to what does it mean, what does it look like to be a forerunner? How does that impact, what are those messages? How does that impact lifestyle? It actually, when you get all the details down on paper... Or when somebody's been around long enough to figure it out, it deters way more people than it attracts. I mean, it is, it is a really intense path to walk. And so for those that are looking for that intensity, there's nothing like it. There's no other place to do it. I mean, there's there's so few options. But for those that are like, hey, I was just kind of looking for like a little bit more. I don't know that I really want this intensity thing. It's like, it, it's sour in the mouth. It's very difficult to stomach. And so the lifestyle and, and the, 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 the messaging and the thought process of forerunners, it deters more than it attracts. So I'll just give you a couple of kind of general thoughts. Again, if you're in the notes, I'm on page three, letter C. It's a culturally abnormal lifestyle. I Culturally being Christian culture, not lost culture. We're not making any of our decisions based off of lost culture. But culturally within the church, it's an abnormal lifestyle. The things that are done. Now, I don't think it will always be that way. I think that the Lord is actually going to be stirring the church into a greater measure of maturity in a significant way in the final generation. But at least right now, the lifestyle, the day-to-day decisions and ways that forerunners are living their lives, it looks a, a bit different, a bit abnormal uh, from, uh, from much of the church. Next, it's a life focused on a mission. And I'll just tell you this right now. This is, a, this is one of those, those sharp but true realities. Most of the church in America is not mostly thinking, how do I live my entire life for Jesus? Most of the church in America is thinking, I want to live my life, and I would very much like it if Jesus would bless that, and I'm going to go to church on Sundays... And I'm going to try to little, live a little better. That, those are completely different things. I'm talking about a life consumed with the mission that God gives. A life consumed. It's completely different. I mean, you think about the person that, like, plays sports a little in high school versus the professional athlete. And their, their life consists entirely of their sport, the preparation for their sport, and the food that they need to eat for their sport. I mean, they are constantly, their whole life is just consumed. It's that sort of a thought process. That's the forerunner lifestyle. It's a consumed life on a mission. That's very different. That is a a very different thought process, a life focused on a mission from God to see the kingdom of God advanced in some specific ways. That's just so different. I, I can remember because... I had that forerunner calling on me as a 20-year-old. I didn't know that. I didn't have words for that. That wasn't language that I was uh, understanding. But I can remember being so uncomfortable because I was like, why is it? Now, this was a bit exaggerated, but it captured the heart of things pretty well. I was like, why is it that I'm the only one that all I want in life is to live for God? Why is it that that's all I think about and that's not what everybody else thinks about. Everybody else thinks about their life and their objectives and what are they going to do when they grow up. And why is that the predominant thought process? But I'm thinking, God, 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 how do I live for God? How do I give my life for God? How do I live out the mission for God? That was constantly the thought process. And I was just like, where, where are those crazy people? Where are those crazy people? And it doesn't have anything to do with your occupation. I was a forerunner working full-time in real estate. It has nothing to do with, are you a full-time minister or full-time this or full-time, it has nothing to do with your occupation. It has everything to do with what's occupying your mind and your soul and your objectives. It's about perspective, not about position. It has nothing to do with your position. That would be mean of God. Up, oh, sorry, you're supposed to do this, therefore you are disqualified from being a forerunner. That's hooey. That's a bunch of hooey. And I think that the enemy loves to feed us that line. Oh, you're in this position of life. You can't be a foreigner. That's a lie. It's about perspective, about being consumed by something that's actually bigger than our circumstances and bigger than whatever our occupation is or position in life. Next, a radical commitment to holiness. A radical commitment to holiness. So not, not, uh, yeah, I know the Bible and I'm going to try not to sin, but like, what am I going to do? to make sure I live a godly life because I won't take anything less than that. It will not be. I will live a godly life. What does that look like? What does that, what does that take, that thought process? That's, again, that's very different than just the common thought process that's in so much of our church culture of, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to try a little harder. This isn't about try a little harder. This is about wholly given over to. Like, Lord, I'm going to live a holy lifestyle if it kills me. This is really important that that we would live that way, that we would carry that. Another piece of the intensity of the path that we're walking, a loud proclamation of God's purposes for their generation. The thought process of the forerunner ministry really in its purest sense can only, in its purest sense, in its purest sense can only happen twice. And that is to forerun before Jesus comes back. So in its purest sense John the Baptist, he's a voice out in the wilderness going, everybody get ready. The Messiah is coming. In the generation before Jesus comes, the second time, same exact thing. Everybody get ready. The Messiah is coming. It's the same message. It's not a different message. It's not contextual. It's the same message, and it's got to be loud. But the only way it can be loud is if it's one that's understood. We just got done with the series on the book of Revelation. Part of the reason that we would spend three and a half years on the book of Revelation is because as forerunners, we can't possibly loudly proclaim something we don't have great clarity on ourselves. So that's part of the formation. Like, you go, why would a ministry do a three and a half year study on the book of Revelation? Because we're forerunners. And forerunners are thinking loud proclamation of the message, the kingdom of God is drawing near, the son of man is going to appear in the sky. It's a it's a very narrow thought process. A typical type of community, but man, do I like it. Oh my goodness. I the stories that come out of this place, the things that I hear people do. I I can't tell you how blessed I was. I was sitting over there just giggling to hear a detail tonight that I didn't know about a trip that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks. And that is that Luke Fredenberg, instead of just going and blessing on his own dime, I mean, he's, not, he's just going to serve. Instead of him just going to serve this house of prayer, he took up an offering, meaning poor missionaries and other people in a community have less money. And I know Luke didn't just, I guarantee you Luke threw money in on that. I just there's a 0% chance he didn't. Meaning Luke was thinking the mission, the people. He was thinking how do we bless? How do we build the kingdom? How do we expand things? How do I live sacrificially even though I'm already sacrificing my time, my energy, all this stuff? He thought sacrificially. I just, the stories that come out of this community because we've got a forerunner community here in our midst, the stories that come out of it, they're provoking. There weren't you must do this because this is what forerunners do. It's let's get the forerunner DNA in the water, and then let's see what fruit comes up out of that. What, it, what comes out of a result of people having that forerunner DNA? It's incredible. I, I love it. It's, it's amazing. But it is a bit atypical. Also a rich feeling of wholeheartedness. Everybody knows what it's like. When their soul, when their heart is not living out wholehearted Christianity. Everybody knows the pain of that. Now, a lot of people will mask it. I mean, they'll, they'll add things into life to be able to make it, build a callus over it, to, to be a medicine to it, to try to get their mind off of it. But when you get alone, everybody knows the pain of, I'm really not living wholeheartedly. And the ache that that causes. That's from God. That's not the devil. That's not even because you're smart. That's God because God created us to live wholeheartedly for him. And when we're not, he does not want us satisfied. That would be counter uh, to his purposes. He does not want us living half-hearted life in Christianity and feeling good about that. He wants there to be an ache Oh, my goodness, being part of a forerunner community, a forerunner lifestyle, actually living these things out, going to bed, and feeling that sense of, oh, I'm giving him all I've got. It's the best feeling. It is the best feeling. It is whole. Instead of half, it is whole and full and rewarding and remarkable and highly unusual in the church in America. Highly unusual. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, let's talk a little bit about how this community began. Andy, can I get you to adjust the temperature in here? I see a bunch of people waving things, and I'm burning up up here. How this Forerunner community began. Well, it started in a living room. And, you know, I, I think about the beauty of the smallness, and really even to this day, we're still so small. I mean, look around this room. It's like really, really a small ministry. I just celebrate that smallness because the Lord says do not despise the days of early beginnings and you don't know how long your early beginnings are. Maybe all you ever get is early beginnings. This started in a living room with a handful of people that just said yes to daily prayer meetings because the Lord said start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back and there was a group of people that said yes to that. So this ministry started and and regular teachings, weekly teachings of some sort started in a living room. Some of these same messages that we're going to cover in this course. They were happening in a living room with a small group of people calling us to radical abandonment. I can remember. What we were actually doing, though, is as we started that with a, with a group of rowdy 20-year-olds, it was just a small handful, the prayer room formed around A community of those that were in radical pursuit of Jesus. That's what happened. A community formed around those that were in radical pursuit of Jesus. That is the absolute best foundation I can think of for a community to form. And when we began this community, the heart was to empower people to run as hard as they could after God. And the kindness of the Lord soon provided us the context of the house of prayer of the prayer room, because it, this thing has turned out to be a greenhouse. It's turned out to be an incubator. I mean, to have prayer meetings going all day is the greatest kindness to the John Stokes of the world that give their life to the Lord and need a place to be all day, every day to worship God, work out their salvation, work off some things off them, just process with Jesus, feel the presence of God. It's unbelievable what an incubator this room has become for us, that has just been the kindness of the Lord to help the the community that was formed around wholeheartedness for Jesus, gave this community a context and a room and an incubator and and a greenhouse to actually mature those things that were in our heart. It was incredible. We have always been about giving people permission to live radical lives for the Lord. And I'm just so grateful to have this opportunity now to restoke those flames, restoke that fire within us. Part of what we're going to do tonight, I mean, this is going to really just serve as an introduction for this course, because we're going to talk about things a little bit tonight that we're going to spend whole sessions on later on. I mean, we're just introducing, we're just kind of stoking the flames here. But part of this formed around my history in God, and that my experience in God didn't fit the pattern of normal Christianity, and I knew that. There were some things that were unique about my experience in the Lord that, wound up giving us some, some provoking, some prodding. First of which, I got a real start, late start on Jesus, and I felt behind. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 18 years old. And at 18, I'd been to church just a couple of times, and every time I was there, I was trying to cause problems and, and not, not there for honest reasons. And so you may as well call it zero times. But here's what happened that was the kindness of the Lord. I came in at 18 And I started to hang out with some new friends or friends that I knew, but I was never close with because they were churchgoers. And I started to hang around them. And I started to have this overwhelming feeling, I am very, very far behind. I just want to tell you, one of the greatest things that can happen to your soul is for you, instead of assessing yourself as, I'm doing good, assess yourself as, I have so much to learn. I have so far to go. I am behind playing catch up, and what was happening with that with that revelation that I'm so glad the Lord put is uh, really put some wind on that is it causes you to act different, do different, think different, spend your time different than if you think everything's okay. I yeah, I grew up in church. I got it. I've been to Sunday school you know, this many times. I, I got a basic understanding. There was something that the Lord did. It was actually for the prayer room, even as much as it was for me personally. It was actually for the prayer room that the the prayer room would be in a place, in a posture, because I was, of feeling like there was such a behind and a need to run as hard as we could after Jesus to catch up. Next point. I was marked by radical Christianity early on. There were were books that I was reading. There were verses that were sticking out to me, and these things were, were defining a new version of Christianity that was marking my heart and my life even before we ever started the prayer room. These were things that I was thinking on and teaching on in Bible studies and these were things that were consuming me. how do we live a radical life for Jesus not just the, the run of the mill. As a 20 year old I'd made some serious and unusual commitments to the Lord. The reason I'm sharing this is this is how the prayer room started. We didn't just start and decide some things. We started actually before we started. We started by the Lord and the way that he brought me into the kingdom and some of these things that were so foundational, there were some serious and unusual commitments made to the Lord by a 20-year-old before this thing even ever started. When we did finally start, I was a missionary straight off the front lines of being a missionary in, uh, in Muslim Africa. So I'm, I've come off the mission field, I'm discontent, I'm hungry, I want to see God move. And, I, and we come back into that context is actually the seedbed for the prayer room. Again, that whole behind, longing, yearning, more, desire. All of these things were the very context when the Holy Spirit said, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. It was in that context. So while I'm really grateful that we've learned about the prayer movement, I'm really grateful that we've learned about the house of prayer and the word of God. I'm really grateful for the understanding of eschatology and understanding a little bit of the end times scenario. I'm really grateful for that. Our foundation was let's run as hard after Jesus as we can. That was actually first. Foundational. So it makes sense that TPR started to reflect some of those early commitments. The centrality of the word of God for our lives was everything can remember in those, in, the, in those living room Bible studies, Bible verses coming alive to people. I remember Luke Cooper getting his world rocked by the concept that God had a voice and could speak to us. There was a, there was a Bible that we were basing our life and our, our theology on, not just our theology, but our theology that would then have practical application into our lives. We looked at the Word of God as central, we saw it as our fuel in our life. It was, it was vibrant and necessary. The subject of stretching our faith was forefront. Out of those days in that living room context, the idea of whatever it is that you've seen God do, whatever you've accomplished before, whatever it is that your, your heart has, has longed for, press in for more. Don't be satisfied with what you had last year. More. More. More, there's more. There's always more. And that thought process was provoking because what it meant was, well, I just saw this happen in my life. I just, I just was able to, to get this kind of under my belt. I, I just came into this point of revelation. Good, now let that be your new floor. Don't be satisfied with that. Be, in fact, be embarrassed that you didn't know that before. And what must that mean about what else you don't yet know? And let that provoke you to reach and to run and to long for more. And it did. People were running after Jesus. And it was a call to sacrificial living. This was just the norm. Sacrificial living. Time, money, energy, aspirations, future. Laying things down to see the kingdom of God advanced. You know, the passage actually about John the Baptist it says, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Let me just tell you something. It's a, it's a very interesting and painful thing. I look at it, and I'm like, God, you have trusted us too much. It's too much trust to too weak of humans. The kingdom of God is moved forward when weak people do extraordinary things. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You know what take it by force means? It's not living Christ- Christianity as usual. It's not normal day to day. It is radical investment. It's sacrifice. It's giving yourself fully to something. It's taking less for yourself so you can give more to the kingdom. I'm not just talking money. Money is one of, of 20 things that can be given. But money is an easy one to talk about because we want to use our money for ourselves. But the idea of sacrificial living in order to advance the kingdom. This is forerunner thought process 101. To live sacrificially, to take less so I can give more. To have less free time so I can see the kingdom of God move forward. Because the kingdom of God, hear me, the kingdom of God won't move forward without participation from the saints. God has tied himself to it. I look at it and I go, this was a gamble of a gamble, God. Because you're banking on the fact that we weak people would actually choose you over our comforts. And if we choose our comforts over you, the kingdom actually, literally, doesn't advance. We cannot live only for ourselves and the kingdom of God ever take one step forward. And the kingdom of God will only advance at the snail pace if a few crazy people, one out of a thousand, one out of a million believers wind up doing something radical for Jesus. The desire of God and the very calling on the believer is that we would live lives of abandonment and that we would take the kingdom of God by force. That's the forerunner ministry. That's the thought process. How much can we give him? Not how little. Oh, oh. I don't think anybody actually says the words on a microphone As a church, we'd like to figure out how little we can give God. We want to figure out how close to sin, how close to the line can we live and still be in the grace of God. I don't think people say those words. I just see that reflected everywhere. Everywhere. This idea that we can just kind of fumble through life and make our life about ourselves. And somehow the kingdom of God will advance. It will never move forward. It is taken by force. And force takes energy. Force takes time and determination. It takes a game plan. It takes tenacity. It takes perseverance. You can't do anything in five minutes. You can can accomplish absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God in one five-minute thing one time. It's perseverance, persistence, faithfulness. It's again and again and again. And what I've found is related to sacrifice, related to sacrificial giving, sacrificial living, what I've found is it actually becomes increasingly more difficult to do the exact same thing over and over and over as time goes on. It actually is harder down the road as opposed to easier. Easier in some sense because you've got repetition, you've got muscle memory, but it's harder because your soul is like, when is the end of this nonsense? When do I get to stop doing this? And then you read, you read the passage about John the Baptist and the violent it by force. It's like, there's no addendum to the verse, like, but you can stop after a few weeks or after a month or two or a year or a decade. See, there's no, there's no word like that in there because the provocation is that we would live for him fully all of our days. This was the foundation and a community was founded running, not walking. I just want to read you a couple of verses. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 9, I'm on top of page 4 if you're in the notes. Running, not walking. A community that's running says this, Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is Paul talking to the Romans and he's going, live radically. And when you catch yourself not living radically, slap yourself and get back to living radically. Do not lose your spiritual fervor. That's so far from lethargic. That's so far from just kind of making it through Christianity. This is fervor. It's spiritual violence. It's the same idea. Never be lacking in zeal. Do you find yourself lacking in zeal? It's like, oh, man, I don't even remember the last time I was zealous. I can remember the last time I was doing some right things. Call, wage war on that deficiency. Don't, be, don't accept that. Because the word of God says, never be lacking in zeal, which means that must be possible. Otherwise, God's just mean. Never be lacking in zeal. Well, you can't. You can, only, you can only have zeal one day out of 100. You can only have zeal one season out of five seasons. Lie. That's a lie. Never be lacking in zeal. When you find yourself lacking in zeal, go to war against that. Call that a problem instead of calling it normal. We live in a culture, it's just totally normal. In fact, to find anybody zealous a little bit is shocking. It's like, what are they? Where'd they come from? What's what God, a bee got in their bonnet? Like, what happened in their life? Because that's not normal. It's supposed to be normal. Paul's talking to the church of Rome, and he says, never, never lack in zeal. Never. Call it a problem. Deal with a soul issue when you are lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Serve Jesus. Serve him. Give your life to him and serve him in his purposes. Serve him. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run to get the prize, people! Run to get the prize! Be exhausted. Be exhausted for Jesus. Be exhausted. Oh, I don't like being exhausted. Never be lacking in zeal. You've been bit by our culture. Even our Christian cultures. That pat you on the back. Oh, you did a little bit more than you did before you. You ran a little harder after God. You ran one day for five minutes. It's a race. Paul says, you not know that in the race, everybody is running. Only one gets the prize. Run like that guy. This is the way Paul defined normal Christianity. He wasn't talking to Timothy. He wasn't talking to some super saint. He was talking to Corinth. They were a hot mess. He's talking to a church that's got all sorts of issues. He goes, let me really tell you your problem. (laughs) Your real problem is you're not zealous for Jesus. Run like you're trying to win the race instead of running after all the things in life. You've made your life about yourself so you're selfish. Don't live like that. Live with zeal for God. And when you feel that zeal fainting, fading, when you feel it just losing out a little bit, call that a real problem. Stop life and address the most important issue. You've lost your spiritual fervor. Do not be lacking in zeal. I remember there were stories that I was hearing in my 20s that were, that were marking my theology. <laughs> my relationship with the Lord was getting set. I didn't even realize that the cement was still drying. I was reading autobiographies and others' stories about men of God and women of God that had loved the Lord and given themselves fully. And, and it wasn't they had one story to tell. It was they had a lifestyle to emulate. And I was getting provoked. I was getting stirred up. And I'm I'm looking around in my church context, and I'm not finding, I I mean, I blessed the people that I knew and still know. I love them. I was not finding any heroes of the faith. I was not finding any heroes. I was reading about heroes in the Bible. I was reading about heroes, but I wasn't seeing heroes. I said, this is not okay. Where are the heroes? And I was getting provoked While the cement was drying, when I was still figuring out who God was, Hebrews 13 says this, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to understand the second part of that verse. It's actually in relationship to living radical lives and the grace of God available today, yesterday, and forever for you as a Christian in 2022. That's actually the Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want to know the context of the verse? It's actually grace from God to be able to live radically. That's the context. God is the same, and he'll give you the grace if you want it. But if you're happy, if you're content to not have it, you won't have it. I do not like that aspect of God. I just want to tell you right now, I don't like it. I don't like it. I understand why it's there. I don't like it. Because what it means is we get to choose. And most of us, most of the time, don't choose him. But it says this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Not the faith of what we've seen. Not what we've gotten our, our backs patted about. Imitate their faith. And Jesus is the same. The Jesus of that dude in the Bible The Jesus of Reinhard Bonnke, same Jesus. You want it, you go after it. Formative ideas about the reality of God, the realness of God. He's real, he's real. We're not in a religion. There really is one guy that made everything. It's God, really God. He's real and he's powerful. And the wildest thing He's interactive. I can't believe the most powerful person ever will interact with an ant. He will. This is the theology of the Word of God that the most powerful one ever sees us and will interact with us. Job 27, verse 11 I will teach you about the power of God, the ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. Verses that talked about the power of God and the ways that we could know him and interact with him in the power of God. And experience him. That he's real and alive and active and interactive. These were things that were stirring us. We're sitting around in a living room going, what can't God do? What if we prayed? What couldn't God accomplish? If we press in, what couldn't we see God do in our generation? There were things that were stirring us. Formative ideas. The the, uh, intent of this course is to stir you. 2 Timothy uh, 1-6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I find it interesting that the gift of God is fanned into flame by a person, not by God. Now, Paul's saying this. I'm saying this stuff to you because I want to fan your flame. But ultimately, you have to take responsibility of your own flame and fan it. And if you'll do that, you'll be fine. And if you just hear a a message, and Brad yells and spits a lot on a microphone, and it's just a message you heard, it does nothing for you. But if you'll take it and fan into flame, stir yourself up in your most holy faith, if you will take the kingdom of God by force, You'll have something you didn't have last week. It's your decision. This course is intended to stir us up, to remind us of what's available, to remind us really of what's our inheritance, to remind us our internal inheritance of living wholeheartedly, feeling it, going to bed at night, going, I gave you everything. I gave you everything, and I'll do it again tomorrow. And I'll live that way. And while I'm lacking some things in the natural, I'm fuller than all of my companions. While I might not have some of the things that the world has, uh, my soul is alive, on fire, and vibrant. I'd rather live that way any day. There was a Misty Edwards song that really messed with us early days in the, in the living room. I remember, I don't know how many times we sang it, prayed it, played it, talked about it. I mean, we probably had as many conversations about the song as we did actually listening to the song. And the lyrics went like this. How far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? Just this this invitation. The Holy Spirit just giving witness. I have so much more for you. Are you content with what you've got? Are you content living a little bit above the fray? Are you content living your normal American Christian life? No. God, how far will you let me go? How how far will you take this? How abandoned will you let my soul become? What are the depths and the lengths and the the breadth and the width of the love of Christ that I might actually experience? Not read about, not I went to a Bible study, not I, I felt it a little bit in worship, I live it a lot in life. How do I live it a lot in life? Abandonment. Oh, it feels so good to be wholehearted, and it feels so sickening to be half-hearted. The greatest antidote to depression is wholehearted abandonment for Jesus Christ. It doesn't resolve everything. It does fix much. And it awakens the inner man, it awakens the soul. How far will you let me go? How crazy, how close can I get to you and still live on planet earth? How much can I experience of you and still be a functional American? Instead of my objective is to be a great American and I sprinkle a little God on it. That is just, he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That is, that is the exact wrong thought process. He is so kind. I, I really wish he wouldn't put up with it. <laughs> I really wish he wouldn't tolerate it. Because we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account of our life. And it's not just wrong and right. It's really going to be, did you live wholeheartedly for me? Or did you live for yourself? How far will you let me go? It, caused, it became our anthem. I mean, it, was, it was so fun. I remember Being 25, 26, 27, in the living room and surrounded by other 20-year-olds. And and we were were living as radically for Jesus as you could. It didn't matter that we didn't have a ministry title or or a name or a building. We were living radically for Jesus. There were things that were stirring in us. That, how far will you let me go? How many will you let me be? It became our prayer. It became our anthem. It became our life pursuit. We were thinking about it. We were in our decisions. We were processing how, how could I give myself more to you in this situation? How abandoned would you let me be right now? <laughs> these, these, uh, this thought process, this provoking anthem, though, it started to cause us to ask some practical questions. What does this mean about fasting? How far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? Related to fasting, related to prayer how far will you let me go I mean that's kind of like this is this now this moved on from cute this now became intrusive this now became a verdict must be given answers must be decided how far will you let me go related to my prayer life what could my prayer life become with how far will you let me go how well Benny will you let me be as my baseline what could my prayer life become my focus in life It's so normal for 20-year-olds to be scatterbrained and to be opportunistic, always looking for the next next big thing, next fun thing, next opportunity. But what about a focused life? God, how focused would you let me be as a 20-year-old? How abandoned and focused on you would you let me become? How abandoned will you let me be in the Word of God? What do I mean? When I say how focused or how abandoned will you let me be, and I start thinking about my time in the Word of God. What does that look like? What does that mean? We were asking ourselves these questions, and we were challenging one another with our answers. Not uh, in, like, showmanship, more like, this is how I'm trying to answer that. And then we'd go, oh, my gosh, I think I was shooting way too low. And we were provoking one another with our answers to these questions. Sacrificial living, the knowledge of God How much of the knowledge of God could I get? I remember being just, my first time through the Bible, maybe it was my second time through, I remember reading about Moses and Paul, and for some reason, those two names just stood out to me, and I asked myself the question, what Bible verse says I can't know God better than Moses? What Bible verse? What Bible verse says I can't know God deeper than Paul did? Where is that Bible verse? I have yet to find it. These are the provoking questions. It's not just a song. It starts to now get into, okay, what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to spend my time? What, what, what does fellowship look like? What are my friendships? What are my relationships? Where, where is my money going? How, how am I spending my life? Where do I go? What do I live? What job am I doing? What am I doing with my life? It started to get real. How far will you let me go, God? Because I can tell you this, all the the, the surface stuff isn't going to matter at all. It's not going to show up on the test. Job, pursuit, accumulation of stuff, accomplishments. None of that's going to matter. None of it. What's going to matter is the abandonment of the soul to Jesus. I just want to give you some encouragement here. We didn't even touch most of it. I'm just going to leave the rest of it to you, the notes. You can read it on your own if you want to. I'm just going to leave you with this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. I want to encourage you, walk out of here tonight dissatisfied. And if you're not dissatisfied, get mad at yourself for not being dissatisfied. And then ask God for a dissatisfaction. You know, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's a blessing for hunger and thirsting. There's a blessing on the yearning. There's a blessing on the longing. There's actually, it's ble- you're blessed if you're dissatisfied thankful for what God has given you, dissatisfied for how far along you are in his heart. Be dissatisfied. I want to encourage you. Aim to live unbalanced for a little while. Worship team, you can come on up. I I, I want to encourage you with this. This This may sound a little crazy. Live unbalanced for a while. If I'm just guessing that our norm has been to live unbalanced the other way, We have been so used to living unbalanced, though it's looked, uh, we've just been patted on the back for it. We've been living unbalanced, mostly living for self, mostly thinking about our own objectives, mostly thinking about how our life is our life. But Galatians says, you're no longer your own, you died. It's Christ that now lives in you, the life that you live. You live for the Son of God, not for yourself. I think we've already been living unbalanced with ourself as the focus. I want to encourage you, see if you can get off course for a minute. Live in the other direction. Somebody will reel you in. The Holy Spirit will help you in a minute. You really probably, especially the 20-year-olds that, you, this is all new. You're like, I've not done this. I've not lived this way. This is stirring me up. I'm provoked. You've, you don't have any experience in this. Go find your way. Live a little bit out of order. Live a little in balance for a minute. Go ahead and be too zealous. Be too zealous. We'll help you. We'll help you sand down a couple of sharp edges. I'm really not worried about it. I'm worried about the dull edges. I'm worried about the dullness that's in this generation, the dullness in our spirits. How satisfied we are with lukewarm Christianity. How satisfied. We pat ourselves on the back. Of- I've made it to church every month, every week, this month. That's disgusting. That's not what life is about. Why in the world, what would ever make you think to not go to church every week? Your comforts, your desires, your selfish thoughts are what have been the construct that have kept us at bay. That's not radical Christianity. Live a little imbalanced. Live zealous. There's far too much tame, safe, and undisturbed Christianity out there. Far too much. Let's rock the boat. Let's press in. Let's figure out how far will you let me go? Trust he'll give you everything good without you having to make it happen. I'm going to end with that. This verse, Matthew 6, 33. It gives some profound parameters for how we're to live our lives. Mostly ignored. Profound parameters. Here it is. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's your first objective. It's what you're mostly about. It's not on the menu. It is the menu. The menu is kingdom of God, and you order things off the menu. Seek first the kingdom of God. And the righteousness of God. And then here's what God says. Because you spent all of your time, your money, your energy, your affections, your pursuit. Because you spent your gifts and your strengths on me and the kingdom. I'll give you stuff. Stop getting stuff for yourself. Stop making it happen for yourself. Seek first the kingdom. And his righteousness and he'll give you stuff. But when you seek your own way, you seek your own life, you seek your own stuff, you don't have any energy left and you will not seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be given to you. Your life will be epic and you will be full in your soul or you can lose your life because you have sought it know God has something for us. He has something for us, a fresh invitation for the prayer room, for us to come deeper. And I think it barrels down to this verse. I think it's it's Matthew chapter six, verse 33. Let's take a good long look at our life and our time and our schedule and our money and our relationships and what we complain about. Let's take a good long look and see if it goes through the filter of seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Did you seek it first? Was it the main and most important? Was it most of your life? Or was most of your life you seeking, I want this job. I want this spouse. I want this situation. I want this promotion. I want this boat. Did you mostly seek it yourself because then you've got all you're going to get. The invitation is: Seek first the kingdom of right of God and His righteousness, and then He will take care of your needs, and He will give you plenty, and you will live a blessed life. Can I ask you for help? This concludes this teaching from the Prayer Room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.